What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. My guest today is Rachel Shannon from Raise the Bar Sports Nutrition and Recovery. How are you doing today, Rachel? I'm doing great. It's always nice to connect with um, fellow professionals in the industry and kind of just chat it up and share some ideas. So I'm super excited and I'm grateful that you invited me to be on the podcast today. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, and yeah, so real quick, uh, let's jump into kind of how we got connected because it was uh, really not that long ago. Um, and it was kind of one of those, it's one of those things that's happened a few times now, which I'm extremely grateful for. And um, I get really excited about just because I've got a list of people kind of in my mind that I've got going along that are like, it's a list of all the guests I want on the podcast. And then there's times where, you know, I've sent uh, emails out just asking people like, hey, what's your schedule? When can you come on? When can we do this? And every once in a while, I get some big gaps where I'm like, shoot, I need to fill this gap. I don't have a guest, you know, for I don't have a guest in two weeks or I don't have a guest in four weeks. And um, it, it happened just perfectly for you to be on this week. So, um, yeah, I think it was one of those Instagram connections where we're both uh, either following the same hashtags or I posted um, stuff about my book, The Self-Reliant Diet, and I think that just came up in your feed or something like that, and that was kind of one of those things. So, yeah, so thank you for liking my post. Yeah, of course. I think um, I'm just starting to realize a little bit now the power of social media and how much good it can do. Um, so just, and also for you, it's nice to see, I think, kind of your content being found and acknowledged, because I think you're putting out a lot of really high quality stuff. Um, and I just kind of happened along it. And then the connection kind of grew from there. So I think it's definitely a, a good outcome on both ends. For sure. Yeah, there's a uh... There's a lot of people that will like and follow my stuff and I'll go and look at their page and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Uh, cool. That was nice of them to like that or that was nice of them to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so when I looked at your stuff, I was extremely impressed and, and um, you know, like when, when you when someone follows you and you look at their stuff or they like your post, whatever the case may be. And you're like, ah, that's really cool. That's really nice. They know what they're talking about. If they like my stuff, you know, it gives you a little bit of a, um, just a nice reinforcement that, you know, like, like you said, it is nice when people recognize that, you know, you're, you're putting out quality content or you're working really hard. And so, um, I really appreciated that. That's why I reached out and I was like, Hey, I've been looking at your website. I've been looking at your content here. Would love to have a conversation with you about um, about basketball, about nutrition, about recovery, about all that stuff. So you were here today to have that conversation. So thanks again. So yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, brief history, long history, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about what I do now. So kind of the role I have related to sport, um, specifically, I work a lot with athletes um, in basketball in particular, because I was a basketball player myself um, for the majority of 
my life. Um, so what I do right now, though, is I'm a sports nutritionist and recovery coach. Um, so I work with athletes to help prioritize fueling and taking care of their bodies to optimize performance. Um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because I felt like throughout my career, that recovery component was really underappreciated and even completely forgotten and not talked about a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt like I was constantly training super hard, like trying to outdo my competition. There's that quote out here, like if you're not going hard 24 seven, 365, someone's out there that's going to beat you when you two meet and compete against each other. If you're not constantly like grinding all the time. Um, but I came to realize the longer I got along in my career that it was more about the balance and really taking care of your body to just extend the longevity of your career. Um, so when I thought about kind of my life after basketball, um, I kind of could have went towards coaching or skill training or things of that nature. But I felt where I can make the biggest impact was really kind of just educating um, athletes on that recovery component and nutrition of course ties into that too and that's where I did a lot of my educational background is in that so nice that that whole idea kind of it really resonates with me like that's um that's one of the things that I try to drive home with with all of my clients and and it's an overarching theme in um in my philosophy of coaching and training is you know you can you can train all you want, but if you're not giving your body the caloric budget, the nutrient budget, the protein budget, the the sleep, um, and you know, there's tons of other recovery modalities, but from my perspective, like you can't, you can do all the fancy recovery stuff, but if you're not getting the nutrients, you're not getting the nutrition, then you're not going to be able to afford the adaptation. So you're just driving your body into the ground if you're not prioritizing recovery. Like if you want to adapt, like you have to recover in order to adapt. So, um, so kudos to you. Cause that's in my opinion, uh, that's gotta be a priority, especially for athletes, for everyone too, but especially for athletes, if you want like that, uh, that one post, that you had like really, really like, I was just like, yes, this is it. Um, what was it? Uh, the athlete who's the most recovered has the biggest advantage or something like that. Yeah. Um, like that's so true. And that's, um, it's not taught, it's not explained well, um, enough. So I think that's really great. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head as well when it's not necessarily these fancy gadgets that you need to use um, to take care of your body. It really starts with those foundational components and the lowest hanging fruit to just build up those basics. Um, and then as you start to push your body harder and harder, maybe you can start to look into different recovery modalities. But it really does come down to um, those building blocks. Yeah, I like to think of recovery as being uh, nutrition driven, specifically calorie driven. But then after that, like it, it you've got to get enough protein, you've got to get enough fat so that, uh, your hormones can function optimally. And then you've, you've got to get the carbohydrate fuel to refill the gas tank. If you want to train hard, you, you want to go into that session with a full gas tank. And then if you want to be able to recover and train intensely the next day or compete, you know, this weekend, like 
refill that tank as fast as possible because you you can't do it in one meal. It takes time to refill that that gas tank, and so it's, the sooner you're getting nutrients in, the better off you're going to feel, the better off you're going to perform both short term, like in the near future, but then long term as well. So, would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think um, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And I know that from personal experience, just from playing. And even though I was studying my master's in nutrition as I was playing, um, I didn't always prioritize my nutrition as much as I should have. Um, and I think that helps me relate a lot to my athletes now because it's it's easy to kind of talk about these things and say this is this is why it can help you, but it really comes down to getting people to do the actual habit shift, I think is the the most difficult piece. So it's understanding why getting some easy wins right at first um, and just kind of tackling those things and going from there. Um, but yeah, just speaking from my own experience, like I know there was days, I, I was just under fueling overall. And I think that's the biggest thing that most athletes do do today. They don't eat enough female mm -hmm. athletes in particular, because I know just from speaking with my athletes, I'll hear things like, well, I don't want to undermine the workout that I just did. I have like a small salad after I trained because I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to look kind of like this perfect figure of what an athlete should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I hear that, I, it's just this whole mindset shift that has to happen um, with those athletes to really understand um, the damage that you're doing to your body by mm -hmm. not properly fueling and eating the right uh, macronutrients and things like that. Um, and just I think once we do start to make those small changes and they see like, oh, wow, my energy levels are finally shooting up. Like, I don't feel like I have bricks for legs all the time. Like once mm -hmm. they start to see those things, it kind of motivates them Um to make some more changes after that. Yeah, I think, like you said, getting those those easy wins initially, like it doesn't take long if you're doing the right things before you feel like, oh wow, I I eat, I'm eating more and I slept better and I didn't gain weight and now I'm performing better. I can train more intensely. I can run down the court faster, you know, at the end of the game or whatever the case may be. Like those build and those tend to snowball and then it's much easier to get, you know, a, a whole team to buy in, let's say to a philosophy when a couple, uh, you get those, those easy wins. So that's awesome. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what got you into basketball and what is it specifically about that sport? Um, that has kept it a part of your life now and into the foreseeable future? Yeah, so thinking back when I was a little squirt, I was in like third grade. My parents just signed me up for every sport from A to Z, like soccer, ballet, cheerleading, softball, like I did it all. And when I came across basketball, I just happened to get signed up. Um, you know, I was wearing like my little Ked shoes and like jean shorts. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like, just, I just remember like feeling the ball going in the net and like shooting and getting that instant like feedback of success. I was just like, I just fell in love instantly. And then the love just kind of grew from there. Um, and my personality, I was always kind of like the quieter, more introverted type of personality. But on the court, I felt like 
I could be this strong, loud, powerful leader. And it just was really encouraged in that space. Mm. Um, and that was something that really drew me to basketball um, even more. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of how I got started out. And I played it. I definitely didn't have the talent or like the skills or the athleticism when I started out. That was for sure. So along my journey, I was always looking for little ways to kind of gain these little 1% advantages. So mm -hmm. when I started to realize like I'm training super hard, I'm getting extra shots up, I'm doing these things, like what else can I do? So that's when I started looking at things like nutrition. Um, I started when I got a few injuries, that's what got me into the whole recovery piece in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at different like holistic methods, like so, for instance, I tore a ligament in my knee, I think, my junior year of high school, um, which is really a huge time for recruiting um, for mm -hmm. most uh, athletes looking to play at the collegiate level. Um, and I was just like, I was in this limbo because they weren't going to um, do surgery on it. So I was just scouring the Internet, like researching these like alternative methods to make your knee heal faster. <laughs> so I just I tried everything. and. Um, I just grew that curiosity and passion from there. And I kind of would use myself as a guinea pig for a lot of the things that I tried. Um, but that's, that's kind of the way my journey went, um, building all the way up through my career. Gotcha. So speaking of your career, it didn't finish when you finished college. So tell us a little bit about what you were able to do post post collegiately. Yeah, so um, I was fortunate enough that basketball led me to some really cool opportunities. Um, kind of just stayed on the path. I had a pretty unconventional path. Um, I played Division Two out of high school, um, had an injury, transferred schools, um, finished out school without playing my last two years, and then I went back to school to grad school actually and finished out my last two years playing at a, um, a different D2 school. Um, so all along the path, I wasn't really set up to play professionally. Um, it's definitely a lot harder when you're coming from a D2 school versus a Division One. Mm -hmm. um, but I just kind of along the way, I just had that vision in my head that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I would always visualize myself sitting on the airplane, like with my passport in my hand, like having the trip on the flight to get over to my team in Europe. And I mm -hmm. just would like to play that image in my head. And when it finally happened, it was like a little bit of like, okay, everything kind of worked out and I'm on the right path. And I, I had that little like one moment of like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the right things. And then of course, the very next day, it's like, all right, back to it. We got to uh, keep taking this as far as it can go. So um, my first year I went, I played in Spain um, for a season, went back again. The second year played in Spain again, um, had a short little stint in El Salvador um, in Central America. That was actually really cool. The crowd like got into the games like crazy. They were like beating their drums. They had like a whole marching band around the gym. Like it was such nice. a cool atmosphere to play in. Yeah. yeah so like, just things like that were like just so cool to see, like just to experience a different culture, to figure out how the heck you're going to communicate with your teammates that don't speak English and your coach that doesn't speak English. Yeah. Um, just is that underlying love that kind of just like pushes you through all that because you're like you know at the end of the day like I'm just doing what I love and I'm able to to kind of get paid for it too so um that was kind of just I guess what what kept me going through it that's cool yeah when I had um Angela Lewis on she mentioned some of those same things like 
Um, I think she said her luggage got lost right when she got there. So she had like no clothes. And I think she was in Germany. Didn't okay. speak. Yeah, didn't speak any German. And then like trying to, you know, deal with that language barrier and the culture barrier. Like what a shock. So but like, you know, you you love the game enough and then, you know, you you make things happen, you make things work. And, you yeah. know, I'm sure it's a, you know, you've got a lot of fond memories and it was a huge learning experience for you. And yeah. Yeah. You come away with a lot of valuable things, too, because now there's like I feel like I left a piece of my heart over there. And I know it sounds mm. cliche, but there's like things I miss so much, like certain foods I try to recreate here or like one year I lived with um, a little grandma and abuelita in Barcelona and she would she would make me these huge like lunches of like paella and fresh fish and wow. we would just enjoy them on the patio together and I would just talk with her and like practice my Spanish and I'm, I'm just I think back now and I'm like I was so spoiled <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing yeah I would love to do a wine and tapas tour in Spain. I just think that would be amazing. And go to a bunch of soccer games. Wouldn't wouldn't be bad either. But um, yeah. Yeah. Shoot. That's did you soccer game atmosphere? There's nothing like it over there. Yeah. Did you get to travel anywhere else in Europe while you were there? Yeah. Um. I I got to bounce around a little bit. Um. Once the season was over, I actually I went to a friend's wedding in Israel which I recommend nice. my advice to anybody. If you can go to a wedding in a different country, like buy that plane ticket and go, because it's just so worth the experience of like, you'll just see all the different things that they do, eat some great food um, mm-hmm. like that. So I got to go out there. I went to Morocco, another awesome country I really love. Um, they have like awesome herbs and spices there. So I was just like packing my suitcase with as much as I could to bring back. Um <laughs> But yeah, so kind of think that was I went to like Italy, different places and Europe is just so easy to bounce around. So mm-hmm. plane tickets. So once you're over there, it's just a really cool experience. That's awesome. So um, speaking of that was a decent transition. We we're talking about basketball. We we're talking about food. Um, so what are some of the biggest impacts that studying nutrition and exercise science have on your athletic career? Yeah, it was huge. So I think just the biggest overarching impact was that it extended my career without a doubt. I know that I wouldn't have played as long as I did if it wasn't for um, my nutrition background and kind of little things I implemented from what I learned. Um, I know some of my classes in college, I wouldn't say were like necessarily directly applicable to athletes or like the course materials weren't always as useful but what it did do is it sparked like this curiosity in me to want to learn more and this hunger to do extra research on my own based on things I had learned in class Mm -hmm. um kind of how I mentioned before I was just my own guinea pig so I was just trying things out on myself um I had a trainer an athletic trainer one of my years in college who um, I walked in the training room and he was actually doing cupping therapy on my coach of all people. Mm-hmm. And I was just like looking like, what is that? And um, tried it for myself on my lower back and was just amazed um, by the results I had from that. So just 
uh, it kind of like loosened up my back. I had those sweet little purple circle marks that was like big fees <laughs> on you. Yeah. <laughs> Got attacked by a giant octopus or exactly, something. Exactly. Like yep. And some of my teammates were just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, what is this whole little leg? I'm just like, I don't care because my back feels amazing right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a red badge of courage. Yes. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah. The marks eventually did go away, but so now I'm just like, that's something that I've just kept with me always. I, I recommend to my athletes. Um, I use it on myself and my athletes I work with in person. Um, mm-hmm. So just like little discoveries like that, that just kind of came from um, studying it in school. Um, and I think the most, actually the most helpful class I did take um, in grad school was um, a counseling class. It was, I think it was called like mm-hmm. nutrition counseling, but mm-hmm. it just talked so much more about like the psychology of how to work with people and how to kind of not convince them to do things, but to empower them to want to do them on their own. So um, I think the biggest shock for me was hearing, you can't just tell people to change and explain all the reasons and the research behind it. It doesn't work. Like Mm -hmm. it's your job more so to foster that epiphany moment in them. You can't force it out of them um, or else they'll never truly be brought in. So it was more so kind of just using questions to spark um, that moment in people and kind of just working with them um, more so than force feeding information down their throat. Um, so that was one of the most useful things I learned, I think. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really, really big one, especially when it comes to nutrition. Like people are generally pretty willing to do whatever you tell them to do when it comes to like the the training side, the sport performance side, the the actual sport training side. But when it comes to nutrition, um, just giving people facts oftentimes isn't enough. Like you've, you've got to show them how to modify their behaviors. And there's a, you can't just tell people to do things. They've got to take ownership of that. They've got to take responsibility of that. And um, yeah, that would have been, that was, we didn't cover that at all in my, undergrad nutrition class you know like that was one of the biggest things leaving you know college where I was just like I feel like I know this stuff but I don't think I could actually help anybody with their diet right now like I I don't know what to do I don't know what to tell them I don't know how to tell them uh to implement change I I can tell them you know what's good and what's bad about what they're eating but um if it was easy as that then you know then things would be really easy like yeah making change is hard yeah especially I think with food we have such strong emotional attachments to certain foods or reasons behind our eating habits and why Mm -hmm. we do certain things Mm -hmm. and it's really hard it's more of a process I think um as opposed to like training you might see changes um a lot sooner um potentially um so nutrition it's it's easier to kind of just maybe sneak in extra foods because someone's not watching you throughout the day like your coach isn't with (laughs) you all day long like so it's really about that having that intrinsic motivation to just say like hey we're we're creating this plan together but I'm ready and I'm prepared to kind of stick to it and I don't think it's about at least my nutritional philosophy it's not about giving up all all bad or unhealthy foods necessarily Um, Mm -hmm. It's just trying to like tip that scale a little bit more 
um, towards helping you and getting those like anti-inflammatory foods in your diet to kind of combat all that training um, mm -hmm. and muscle soreness that you're accumulating. Um, so yeah, I think it is more about a, a balance. So not, not totally throwing away all that you've done your entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's, it can be really demoralizing or, or really like you're putting a giant mountain in front of somebody. If you're like, we've got to overhaul this whole thing. You've been doing everything wrong. If you start there, like you're not going to make any progress. Cause they're going to be like, I'm never, I'm never going to get where I want to go. Like I've got to get over this mountain. No, I'm not. Why would I even bother? Like, but if you're chunking things down into, you know, manageable change, like, you get those small wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> small wins. Yes. So tell us, like, what is what is your definition of recovery? Like, what is it? And, and because of that, why is it such a priority? Why is it more important than other aspects of, um, of sports? sport performance with sport training, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So recovery is, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's like, I'm taking my rest day and I'm kind of just laying on the couch, watching some Netflix all day and my body's recovering. Um, recovery is more of an active process. So um, there is a time and place for the Netflix watching, but recovery is also just about getting that blood flow going, the lymph movement going throughout the body. Um, you're clearing up all of those things that cause the soreness. Um, you're not just, just laying around and kind of letting it accumulate. Um, so it could be as simple as I decide I'm going to go for a long walk on my day off to, to get my legs moving. Mm -hmm. um, as we've talked about this whole episode, nutrition is also a huge part of the recovery process. Um, so what you're eating is either going to be adding to the inflammation um, that's caused by the training, or it's going to help your body to heal the inflammation. Um, so there's certain foods and certain kind of combinations you can um, make to optimize that. Um, I think that for me, uh, some of the lower hanging fruit that we would talk about with recovery are going to, the foundational pieces are going to include sleep, which is my number one um, thing that I really harp on and target when I first start working with an athlete, because I believe that if your sleep isn't right, then everything else isn't going to make as big of a difference. You could have the perfect eating habits, the perfect training schedule. Um, all things could be good except the sleep, and that's going to kind of limit your ability of what you're able to do with your performance. Um, hmm. So we start looking at kind of the athlete's sleep environment and how we can optimize that to get a better sleep, to make sure you're going through all of your sleep cycles properly. Um and it can be difficult because that's another habit that we have that we've been doing. Um, and we're just so used to kind of like mindlessly going to bed at night um, and being on our screens, on our phones, watching TV, doing all these things that are alerting our bodies that it's time to be awake. So that blue light that's coming from the screen is um, messing with our circadian rhythms a little bit and kind of telling your body, oh, hey, the sun's out. It's time for you to be alert and be energetic and be awake. Mm -hmm. um, in reality, we want our bodies to be starting to, to turn down and relax at that time. Um, so we think about things like 
trying not to be on your phone within an hour of going to sleep, but I know that's very difficult. So there's little hacks you can do. You can change the brightness on your screen to more of an orangey reddish type of color. Um, so that's going to be signaling your body that, okay, I have this, this red light. It's not the blue light coming through like the sun. The red light is more like the flames of a fire. Um, so if we think back in history, like our ancestors would kind of go to bed maybe with a fire nearby. Mm-hmm. So that's the signal for the melatonin release, the hormone that's going to kind of optimize your sleep and help you to to get into those sleep cycles. So just little things like that that we look at with sleep, um, probably the number one pillar of recovery. Um, number two, I would say, is working on different myofascial release techniques. Um, so kind of that self-massage. So different things you can do to help relax the tension that you've built up. Um, within your muscles. So this is definitely best to do after training, not beforehand, because you're getting your body into more of like that um, parasympathetic, more relaxed state. If you're before a workout or training, you want to be like your muscles firing quickly, um, ready Mm -hmm. to go. Um, So it's definitely better to do it after. Um, But different things, like I said, like foam rolling, lacrosse ball under your feet, just kind of rolling it around. just little things like that. And the lacrosse ball is really easy to just throw in your bag also. Um, so things like that, specifically targeting certain areas, especially if you're sore um, from certain things with your training. Um, so that's another pillar, I would say. Um, and then my third one that I also tackle is mindfulness. So thinking about the mental side of performance and how we can get you into more of a flow state through things just like five to 10 minutes a day of meditation. And we kind of start that practice um, and working on just being in the present moment and how to not control your thoughts, but how to identify them and not let your thoughts have more of like an emotional emotional reaction. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can help you get into that flow state more often so you can perform better um, in your games. Yeah. I think so much of your ability to, to perform at a high level comes down to um, being able to deal with the stresses outside of your sport. Like, um, if you've got something going on, you know, if you're, if you've got an argument with somebody in your family or a close friend, or you're dealing with, um, issues in a class that you're taking or, you know, whatever the case may be, if you've got a job and, you know, something's going on with the job and your boss isn't happy with you or whatever the case may be, if that is such a, uh, fatiguing stressor, then, that's going to carry over into your ability to play or your ability to train or your ability to compete. So um, I think, like you said, being mindful, taking time to, um, to meditate or taking time to visualize, you know, certain aspects of your training or um, sometimes it's not thinking about training at all. Um, One of my, one of my cousins, she's a professional runner and I had her on an episode and she was saying, you know, to deal with stress for her, sometimes she has to not do anything related to, to running. Like she also is a musician. So she spends a lot of time, you know, playing music and that kind of helps, uh, I guess, compartmentalize certain things and gets her out of her own head with regards to, um, you know, to, for training and competing, which can be really stressful. So I think that's, um, I think that's a, it's another one of those things that can be really hard to work in if you're not, 
deliberate about it and, and planning out and making time for it, but it can be so beneficial. It can be really huge just to, um, yeah, it kind of puts things in perspective. Like what's really important. Is this as stressful and should it be impacting me as much as I'm letting it? I think that's, I think that's really good. So yeah, those are, those are excellent pillars. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love that she has that, that musical time kind of working the other side of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people, and it may be counterintuitive, like, well, that's not helping my performance. But in reality, it really is because it's giving you that space to, to step back, to recharge. Um, so you're not getting to the point where you're just completely burnt out and you feel like you, you can't train anymore. So, yeah, I love that. That's that's really good. Oh, um Related to the whole circadian rhythms and, and sleep sort of thing, um, I saw, I think it was your post today where you were talking about um, your routine in the morning. I guess you're not a morning person. So tell us a little bit about how, uh, like I get up at 4.30 every morning. Like I, the sun's not up until I've been working for like two or three hours. So for people who struggle to maybe get up in the morning and be productive right away? What are some ways that they can um, kind of get their body moving? Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head. I am definitely just a night owl. That's like kind of, I think, in my DNA. And they do say that there are four chronotypes to people. So like a night owl or a wolf, they actually call it, you do your best work at nighttime. Um, A bear is like, the I'm a 7 or 8 a.m. kind of riser and I feel like good and energetic um a lion is probably what you would be where you're waking up like before the sun comes up and you're like raring to go um I am a Leo so I guess that makes sense I'm a Leo too so maybe that's why we get along so well (laughs) (laughs) um and then the fourth one is a, a dolphin that's kind of like you like take naps throughout the day. You're kind of like an inconsistent sleeper. You might have insomnia mm. at night, things like that. Um, so for me, I think I'm just built like a wolf. I'm more of a night nighttime person. Um, but I've been able to train myself a little bit to be better in the morning. So kind of what we talked about with the phone screens, that blue light. So it's important almost as immediately after you wake up. The sooner the better. If you can get outside, get some sun on your face, on your skin. Um, that's going to just signal um, that circadian rhythm that, all right, it's time to wake up like this is I'm resetting my time. So if you can do that consistently over like one to two weeks, you'll start to notice that you do start feeling much more alert in the morning. Um, and that can really help with that. Um, also, if you are staying hydrated, so the body gets dehydrated overnight, over the nighttime. Um, and if you just have that water right next to your bed, and you add in some salt, so ideally like sea salt, Celtic salt, Himalayan salt are some good um, sources that have a lot of micronutrients in them. So they have like magnesium, potassium, obviously sodium, those little things like that that you need to put back in with the water to keep all the electrolytes in balance. Um, you can add some lemon in there, that's good too um, for the acidity. But you're drinking that right away, that's going to help to wake your body up a little bit more. Um Also, if you're getting your body moving, so this is good for recovery too. So we're pumping the lymph. You can do as easy as some jumping jacks, body weight squats. Maybe you go for a walk in the sunshine while you're drinking your water and you combine all things wrapped up into one. (laughs) So if you're like 
you're like me trying to like maximize your day, then that's kind of what you might want to do to just like get it over within 10, 15 minutes and you're good to go for the rest of the day. But a triple yeah, threat. Exactly. I like that. That's a basketball word too. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, those are some good tips to get you up in the morning. If you want to get really crazy, you can even take um, a cold shower for one to five minutes and that that will really get you going too and there's a lot of health benefits with that as well but that's a little bit more advanced because i know some of us aren't, aren't just thrilled to hear the, the word cold shower, cold shower. <laughs> no thanks i'd rather just wake up at 4 30 and be awake oh, and take cold go. shower <laughs> so um all that's been extremely helpful, really beneficial info. Um, so let's transition a little bit away from the nutrition um, and recovery side of things. And let's talk a little bit about how um, life changed for you when you stopped playing professionally. So how was that transition and um, what things did you learn and what are some of the takeaways that you can share with um, with other athletes? At some point, we all have to you know, hang up the shoes or, or modulate or adjust, um, the way we were training or the day or the way we're, we're competing into, uh, some sort of difference. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I love this question because I don't think this is talked about enough. Um, I think that we train our athletes so well and we, we prepare them to perform their best. And then after they play their last game or have their last competition, it's kind of just like, okay, now go be a, a quote unquote regular person now or a NARP as they like to say. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely something that we need to talk about more. Um, my advice, cause I just went through this very recently. So I last, I played in France last and that was, maybe like a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, that I played my last game. Um, and it was tough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. It was very tough. Um, my identity was heavily based in being a basketball player. Um, so I've struggled with that. So one piece of advice I would have is while you're still in your career to try to, um, kind of figure out other things that you like and that you are passionate about and start to dabble in those areas and, and try to build those up a little bit. So for me now, I'm starting to realize I really like to be kind of an entrepreneur and kind of like build things up. And I'm really passionate about recovery and those types of things. So I wish I had started that a little bit earlier so that the rug wasn't pulled out from under me. Um, once I realized I wasn't a basketball player anymore and I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those are like things you can definitely start thinking about a little bit later on in your career um, to just prepare yourself a little bit better. Um, I think once you do stop playing, it's really important to talk about these things with teammates, maybe that are going through the same thing. Um, just express it to people in your life. Um, so you can kind of get your emotions out there and share it. Um, I'm really a big mental health proponent as well. So like, even like I went and I started seeing a therapist to start to talk things out and just to kind of like figure out um, and deal with some of those emotions I was feeling. So I don't think, I mean, that would be my second piece of advice would to be maybe go and start to see a therapist or if you can't do that, then definitely just, just try to talk through your emotions um, with people that can kind of relate to what you're going through. And you'll realize there are 
probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of athletes out there that are feeling the same thing that you are once they stop playing their sport. So I think mm-hmm. we can definitely be there for each other a little bit better and a little bit more. You're right. It's not talked about like it is just it's an it's I guess like a non-issue which blows my mind because um for me it was I thought I was gonna run post-collegiately you know maybe maybe just a little bit but I thought I was gonna do it and then junior year I got injured and I was like okay I'm not doing that anymore I'm I wasn't my my running career wasn't over but my plans for running changed big time. And so then I had to figure out like, okay, what, what do I do? Like, I thought I was just going to run professionally and then go into professional coaching. Well, obviously that's not going to happen. So, um, my path had to, had to change, had to deviate a little bit. And thankfully I was still in school and I, um, you know, I, at that point had been exposed to a lot of different aspects of, of the industry. And then I was able to get an internship between my junior and senior year that opened up a lot more doors and a lot, you know, a lot more opportunities. And I was like, Oh, okay. I, all of that injury sort of thing happening to my back, that wasn't a waste. That was actually a stepping stone into where I need to go next. So, um, I think a lot of times if you're, if you're willing to look at things from a different perspective and leverage what happens, not, um, not be like, Oh, oh what am I going to do now? I, I don't know. Like, I guess I'll just sit around until something happens. Like, I mean, that's, that's an option, but you can also be proactive in figuring out like, okay, well that happened. And now I can do all this. And mm-hmm. if I hadn't been able to talk with other people, um, about their injuries and about, um, you know, what they did transitioning out of athletics, then I wouldn't have, you know, known what to do. So you're right. Like you've got to be able to talk about it with other people. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I a hundred percent agree with what you said. Um, just looking for the bright side in all situations, because I think it's there. You can choose kind of what you focus on. Um, and that's a conscious choice and you can focus on the negative pieces or negative aspects, or you can choose to, to find some positives and see, kind of how you can make the most of every situation. So I, I love hearing a little bit of your story related to that. Well, it's, it's one of those things in the moment, it feels like you're all alone and you're like the only one who's ever dealt with an, a, either a career ending injury or like a, it's like, Oh now now my plans are ruined, but really there's so many people out there where even if you've not been injured, you get to the point where you're like, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, millions of people can relate and knowing that is kind of, um, that's a little reassuring, like, okay, well, if, you know, if all of these people are okay, are okay, you know, they've, they've done something with their lives. I'll be okay too. Yeah. It's like the high school musical song. We're all in this together. Just popped <laughs> <in> my head. <laughs> wow. <laughs> little little so. Zach Efron. Yeah, there you go. If you're feeling a little down, go listen to that song and hopefully it'll cheer you up a little bit. Wow. Good times. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about what you are currently learning, whether it's um, 
reading books or listening to podcasts or um, what what is piquing your interest right now or what are you working on right now? And it can be industry related. It can be, you know, uh, personal, like what's going on. Yeah. So I had my, my answer, but I, I also was thinking how you said, um, was it your sister that was, or that your cousin, right? That was, Mm -hmm. is the runner Mm -hmm. and was playing an instrument. Um, yeah, so I recently just bought a saxophone out of the blue, and I was like, wow. hey, I used to play this in middle school. Like, let me get a cheap saxophone and start, like, relearning how to read the music <laughs> and how to play it. So that was That's my porn awesome. splurge, I guess. Um, but, but, yeah, so, and I'm just, like, thinking back to things that I enjoyed when I was a kid, and how can I incorporate those in my life right now? Because mm. I was so narrowly focused on basketball for so long um, that it's like, hey, you know what? I kind of enjoyed this, but I just stopped doing it because I was um, constantly training or constantly traveling or, like, focusing on how I could be a better basketball player. Um, so mm. it's kind of nice to circle back to some of those things and, and feel that enjoyment again, things that brought me joy. Um, so that's kind of one interesting thing I've been doing. Um, I do that's love cool. reading. Yeah. And, um, You're like the next Kenny G, maybe. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I can, <laughs> right now I can play London Bridge and Mary Had a Little Lamb. So hey, that's a I good might, start. I might be closing in on him, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a huge reader, too, and I love podcasts. Um, the one book I'm tackling right now is like 700 pages. It's called Boundless by Ben Greenfield. Um, he's one of my mentors I really kind of follow in in the wellness industry, but it's this super thick, like comprehensive, it almost looks like a textbook. It's like the kind of book you can like do an at-home workout with and you like feel like you're actually like breaking a sweat. <laughs> um, that's how big it is and bulky. Um, textbook so, squats. Yes. So I'm slowly uh, kind of making my way through that because it's just so like information dense, but everything in it is very kind of like cutting edge, um, based on research and things like that. And then I kind of take that and try to apply that to some of my, my athletes. Um, so that's what I'm kind of digging into right now. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He's, uh, he's been like personal trainer of the year at at least once. Um, he's kind of a, he's willing to, to do a lot of personal experimentation, which is sometimes really funny. I've read a few of his articles where he's done some very, very interesting things to his body in the name of science. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, you kind of like look at his example and then some things are like a little more so on the extreme side and you're like, I wouldn't necessarily do that. But then like you still can gain um, a lot of good information from him too. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's always really uh, an interesting guest on uh, either like Joe Rogan or on some other podcasts. And yeah. he's, he's very entertaining, very, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, he loves to be on that cutting edge. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's always trying to push the envelope of, of, you know, training the body. And if you're going to push training, then you've got to be able to follow it up with that recovery. So I think he does a good job of, of balancing out those two sides of, of the, of the coin, if you will, of the physiology coin. Um, that's good stuff. 700 pages that's whew. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
it's all like it's not the kind that's like got a lot of pictures and you can kind of read through it quickly it's like each page is taking me a solid like 10 minutes to get through so it's definitely like one that will last me a while <laughs> nice nice well that's good that's good um so let's say somebody wants to reach out to you they've got a question for you um or they they want to know what kind of services you provide how how does somebody go about that yeah, so I'd say the best way to find me is on Instagram. I've been getting pretty active on there recently. Um, Instagram handle is raise the bar, R-A-Y-S dot the dot bar. I'm kind of a play on my name because my name Rachel is spelled a little differently than most Rachels. I have a Y thrown in there. Um, so that's how that name came about. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, so definitely follow me on Instagram, um, and also my website is raisethebarrecovery.com. You can also find more information on there. I do work with a lot of my clients um, virtually. Right now I'm based in Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Philly, um, and I work at a prep school um, with a lot of our athletes here um, with nutrition. So that's where I am right now. Sweet. So this kind of brings us to a close. So... Let's say um, you've you've only got one more one more piece of information that you can provide to everybody before you go off into the wild blue yonder. So what what is the one thing that you would share with everybody if uh, if you could share nothing else? What's the most important thing to get across? Yeah. So I think you stole my thunder a little bit earlier um, by spilling this one, but sorry, <laughs> it's all good. It's always good. I think people need to be reminded more than they need to be taught. So you have to hear things multiple times for it to kind of sink in. So um, I just want to reemphasize that the most recovered athlete on the court or on the field really does have the advantage um and this applies across all areas of life if you're not showing up at your best kind of have fresh fresh legs um a clear mind you won't be able to perform the way that your body can and also the way that you've been training to take advantage of um so i just really want to emphasize this because it's very counterintuitive um to a lot of athletes right now um i think we think that we always have to push ourselves harder um, but in reality, once you start to pull back, I know you're already working your butts off. You're already training as hard as you can. Um, start to pull back and then you'll and start taking care of and especially listening to your body, too, because your body's going to be giving you signs and messages about what it needs. Um, so once you can learn to listen to your body, you're going to take your performance to a whole nother level and be able to play the sport that you love for a much longer time and have a much more successful career. Perfect. Well, I think. That was worth repeating. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> That's good stuff. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I really appreciate it. I know everybody watching and listening has uh, enjoyed what you've had to share and hope to get you on again in the future to, to go into more detail about some of these things and yeah, see what, see what new stuff you're up to. So thank you again. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you to you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. And thank you for building up this platform to allow different people to kind of to share their thoughts so we can all learn from them. So I appreciate it. And I definitely appreciate you having me on today. No problem. My pleasure. Alrighty, y'all. Thanks for watching and listening and tune in for next week's episode. Adios.